Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it's Tuesday, November 21st, 2018, and you know what that means, tomorrow we're eating some turkey, but more importantly, it's time to get nerdy, y'all. Welcome to episode number 82 of Two Nerds in a Pod, the nerdiest gaming podcast in the galaxy. I'm Lom, also known as Mr. Nice Guy, and I'm joined by my comrade in gaming commentary, the miggity 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 Mac, also known as Maction. Mac, how are things, man? Happy Thanksgiving, first and foremost. Well, thanks. Things are well, Mr. Nice Guy. I've had just uh, as good a week as could be had, I have had. Dude, that's good. Do you want to elaborate, or is it stuff you can't share? Any highlights you want to tell the people? Yeah, at the very least, one highlight. So I've been flirting with that 1,000 followers mark for on Twitch for quite some time. Uh, at least two or three months. It seems like it's kind of a one step forward, two steps back, two steps forward, one step back sure, kind of a thing, sure. but did solidly break it Nice. Uh, since we talked last. I'm at 1,003, so I'm pretty happy about that. Dude, that's fantastic. Now, while we're talking about Twitch, mm-hmm. you're doing a thing this week, a special stream. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, so uh, for the second year, Mrs. The Mac is off uh, visiting family while I am still here all by myself. Um, and uh, <laughs> and I'm just I'm going to be staying nearby in case work stuff gets crazy or anything like that. But uh, I'm going to do what I did last year, and that is beat all the classic Mega Man series from one to ten. But this time, I'm going to tack on Mega Man 11. I'll play it for the first time um, either tomorrow, which is, it's unlikely I'll get all the way to 11 tomorrow. So it'll likely be Friday that I play play that. But I'll start it up at, uh, you know, noon till midnight Eastern on Thursday and then again on Friday. So if you're not busy watching parades and things like that, hang out a bit. Yeah, and sports ball. Yeah, I can't think of a better, you know, a better form of entertainment to enjoy while eating turkey and pumpkin pie than watching your stream Mega Man. I mean that sincerely. Um, so everybody should tune into that. Get fat and then watch Mac beat some Mega Man. That's fantastic. Mac, I have some exciting news to share. Uh, so I just I already got, know what uh, it is. Mac knows what it is because we are good friends in real life, IRL, and we talk off stream. Uh, I, uh, I just got the rough copy of the comedy special that I recorded earlier this year. The one I was you there were for at that. The live, yeah, you were at the live taping, uh, and so my wife and I watched it last night, and it's uh, it's fantastic. Uh, I get to send them notes as far as things that I'd like to see changed, uh, jokes I want cut, or jokes that were um, not put in the original cut that I'd like to see make the final cut, uh, and then they will edit it one more time, and then it'll come out whenever they put it on the schedule. So I'm pretty excited. Uh, recorded it back at the end of April, so I've been very very patient, uh, patiently waiting. Uh, for it to come out, and now it looks like we're almost there. So it's pretty cool. I'm, I'm excited to see that. It's a big step in my comedy career, something to showcase to the people. Uh, so I'm, I'm excited for that. It's fun. 
I'm excited too. It was a fantastic set. There was this dude who just kept cackling near the front. Really good looking, you know, bore some some resemblance to yours truly. Hope that guy makes it into the final cut. <laughs> Mac was at the live taping. Uh, so we'll see. I don't know uh, if you'll, your camera will, or if your face will be on screen. In fact, actually, my wife and I were watching it. And I know that the back of your head is in a couple of the shots, at least. Yes. So you can use that as a credit if you want to. Absolutely. Um, totally you better cool believe with that. I and will. You should, man. Leverage that. If it blows up, if the special blows up, man, you were part of it. So on that note, Mac, I say we do what we do best, and we hop right into the gaming news, my friend. Let's do it. Let's do it. Welcome to Two Nerds in a Pod, episode number 82. If you're here with us live or if you're listening after the fact. Um, Mac, not as much gaming news this week as normal, a couple things I want to hit, uh, and then we'll talk about some uh, some deals that we have this week. So the first news story that I'm going to share deals with the Valve Steam Link. Are you familiar with that? Ever so slightly. Yeah, I'd heard of it, but I didn't know too much about it. So anyway, this story comes from GameSpot. Uh, it says Valve's Steam Link device is almost sold out, and the company has signaled it doesn't plan to restock. It's already completely gone in Europe, and the company says it's almost sold out in the U.S. as well. In a statement, Valve said it, quote, intends to continue supporting the existing Steam Link hardware, as well as distribution of the software versions of Steam Link. Um, and then, just to skip down, in case people don't know what Steam Link is, it says the Steam Link allowed you to stream games from your gaming PC onto any display. Games could be streamed at 1080p and 60 frames per second and the device supported the Steam controller as well as third-party ones like the Xbox One as long as you have the proper attachments for wireless controllers. Uh, the Steam Link went on sale last year for $20 and received an even deeper temporary discount later in the year. Valve may have been attempting to clear some stock. So, Mac, I don't, I'm not super familiar with this piece of hardware. Is it something that just wasn't useful? Um, or do you, do you know more about it than I do, or are you in the same boat as me? You know, it certainly had its fans. Um, it was essentially, if you're familiar with Chromecast, it was essentially, you know, just a device you plug into the HDMI and it was meant to link with your Steam account and play those games, use, you know, something else, usually a television as a display. Um, there are some people who were really big fans of it, thought that it worked quite well. Um, for my part, I never actually used it myself, so I can't really give any personal experience with it. But it though. was it was effectively like like screen mirroring is what I'm understanding. Yeah, it was effectively like screen casting. Okay, got it. So I mean I guess that's useful. I can I can see why um I mean there's other ways of accomplishing that, you know what I mean? Rather than adding that add on. So I can see why it died out. But anyway, if you're wanting one of those, go find it. because uh, they are not going to be around much longer. Next news story, let's talk about Ubisoft for a minute and uh, and their popular game, Rainbow Six Siege. This story comes from PC Gamer. Uh, it says, a few weeks ago, and were you going to talk about this later, Mac? You kind of nodded like you, you knew. Oh, okay, cool. Uh, a few weeks ago, Ubisoft announced it would make a small set of changes to Rainbow Six Siege's maps and UI, meaning user interface, in preparation for localizing the game in Asia. At the time, Ubi said that it hoped to avoid duplicating work and address issues more quickly by moving to a single base aesthetic 
common to all regional versions of Siege. Some Siege players were quick to criticize the move, with almost 1,500 negative reviews of Siege appearing on Steam three days after the announcement. Quote, I live in Canada, I do not live in China. My experience in a game should not be at the mercy of a dictatorship halfway around the world, unquote, wrote one highly upvoted post on the Siege subreddit. These angry players expressed a similar sentiment. Any global changes to accommodate a regional version of the game, no matter how trivial, represented a capitulation to what they saw as Chinese government censorship. So, Mac, basically what's happening is we're aware that China um, has certain laws as far as censorship, right? As far as violence in games, as far as, you know, certain types of things that they view as propaganda, um, and as far as, you know, anti-government things. So I'm looking at some of the images on this article, and one of them is, you know, kind of a picture of a Chinese village, um, and there's some blood splattered on it because it's a violent game, right? Um, and the the other is the same village with no blood on it. So basically, Ubisoft was censoring certain images in the game to make it um, accessible and universally usable for every version of the game. So rather than making one version for China where everything was censored, they were just censoring the whole game so that all players had to, to deal with it. Um, do you have an opinion on this type of thing? Should Should they have you know, left it alone and, and let, you know, players in America and Canada have their version and then made a completely different one for China? What do you think? To me, that seems like a waste of resources. Yeah, I can't speak to exactly how many re resources are or would be wasted by maintaining two different instances of the game, um, but it certainly seems like two is more costly than one, for, for sure. Um, but without knowing how much, I mean, how deep that rabbit hole goes with what they'd have to do to support two different versions, um, uh, what I can say in general, though, is that I see the uh, I see the players' side of things where they're like, we don't want to our game experience to be dictated by somebody who isn't willing to tolerate X, Y, or Z. We want our gaming experience to reflect, you know, the types of things we want to see or that we interact with in our culture, if that makes sense. Well, and, Even and, if it is and, a cultural just, difference rather than a, you know, strict government difference. Now, you just kind of changed my mind because my initial thought was that these people who are complaining about the game being changed are being silly. Um, that's how I felt. But you're right. You know, if, if they want certain things to be in the game for realism's sake... Then yeah, I could respect that. But if they just want, you know, hey, we want more blood because because blood makes it cool, you know. And and why can't you just leave the blood? I mean, the blood doesn't contribute to the game, um, in my opinion. So I guess I was kind of confused why people were so upset about this. I'm also confused why Ubisoft went so far out of their way to make a statement that they were going to be changing the game when they could have just done it and not said that the reason why is because they wanted it to be localized in China. That would have avoided this whole thing. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm a fan of free speech. I'm a fan of, you know, I, I don't know. I guess I, I'm not that passionate about this whole topic. Um, I felt like people were overreacting, but you kind of changed my mind with your statement. So, um, we'll, we'll score one for Mac. Uh, one last news story, and then we'll talk about some, some deals that we have going on right now in the industry. Uh, this one's about Warframe, which... I was never into Warframe, I've never played Warframe, but I have a buddy who's constantly on Xbox playing it, so when I read this article it piqued my interest. Uh, this is on GameInformer.com, it says, The co-op online sci-fi shooter 
that has you playing as an ancient space ninja has just received its Nintendo Switch port. Players can, it says players can can, now download the free-to-play Warframe on Switch. And if, if you're a first-time player from now until December 4th, you'll receive a free starter pack of in-game items. To receive the bundle, players only need to download the game and complete the first quest, Vor's Prize. Released in 2013, Warframe has you playing as the Tenno, a race of mystical alien ninjas who battle hordes of other evil space evil species throughout the galaxy. A third-person mission-based shooter, the gameplay consists of slicing and blasting your way through enemies in order to upgrade your character, blah, 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 blah. Um, Mac, I've never played this. Have you? Are you familiar with this game at all? I am not. The only in alien ninjas I'm familiar with was that uh, brief period of time when uh, Power Rangers was kind of between things, and so gotcha. they had yeah, yeah, yeah. alien ninja rangers. Or, yep. sorry, that was Alien Rangers, but they alien were basically ninjas. ninjas. They're all basically ninjas. Yeah, they're all ninjas. They all got they all yeah. got no karate. Um, well, cool. So, anyway, Warframe now out on Switch. Um, Switch is killing it this year. And on that note, let's actually talk about some of the gaming deals that are happening right now. Um, Ooh, may I open with one that I think please, is please very do. important? Yes. Um, so, uh, every so often you are going to need some sort of uh, storage, right? You're going to sure. need stuff like uh, like the micro SD cards that I'm holding yep. in my in my hand, uh, some high speed and hopefully not too expensive storage. And for your Switch, I mean, you'll probably need some stuff to download and you can drop a micro SD card in there. Anyway, Amazon has a really, 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 really good deal on, uh, on micro SD cards. It's something like... Uh, 10 bucks for 32 gigabytes of uh, on a micro SD or was it or was it 64 gigabytes pretty sure it was 32 gigabytes point being very inexpensive much less than usual and uh, that is something that everybody should be getting at least a couple of I agree now how much did you say that costs uh, I thought oh, it was okay. like Actually, so I I picked one up just a couple of days ago. Let me just grab my my order. Okay, so right, the 64 gigabyte Samsung micro SD card, um, ten bucks. Well, eleven bucks because it's ten ninety nine. Great deal. Thirty two gigabytes, six dollars. So it's a fantastic. Oh yeah. So yeah very, if you very own good. a Switch, you know how ridiculously small the hard drive is, right? Everybody who owns one, so. Um, this is a perfect time to pick up some extra storage, you know, because they really are making a push for digital downloads, which effectively forces you to buy an SD card. So if you have a switch, pick one of these bad boys up. Any other deals you want to share, Mac, before I jump into some? Or we can um, go back and forth, uh, whatever you want to do. Uh, there is one other, but why don't you do a deal first? Okay, so I'll go through a few of these game deals that I've seen. Um... Let's, and in fact, we're talking about Nintendo right now because we're talking about the SD cards. I'm, I love my Switch, um, but I'm also, you know, I take, I think I've said on the podcast before, I really enjoy getting deals on games. Um, it's it's just like, I don't know why, it's just a good feeling like, oh, yeah, I got this game for less than it's supposed to cost. So I'm big into that. Nintendo is having a phenomenally huge sale right now. I'm going to go through some of the highlights uh, of their eShop sale, which is the digital downloads that you can buy for your Switch, your 3DS, etc. This is from Polygon. Um, Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze. $41.99, 30% off. I'm not going to go through all the prices, but I will list a lot of the games. FIFA 19 is 40% off. Starlink Battle for Atlas, which just came out, is 25% off. 
Snipper Clips, Doom, NBA 2K19, Skyrim is 50% off, which if you haven't played Skyrim yet, time to jump on it, play it mobile on the Switch. Dragon Ball Fighter Z, Final Fantasy 15, Dead Cells, which is on my wish list, I probably will pick that up. It's 20% off. Celeste, I've already played, 20% off. Uh, Undertale, South Park, The Stick of Truth, Monster Hunter Generations Ultimate, skip some of these that aren't as relevant, Mon uh, Mario plus Rabbids. Uh, the Messenger is finally on sale, and that was a game that I literally almost bought last week because I have some eShop credit. I have been waiting to play that game for a while. Um, I've learned not to buy games in November <laughs> and <laughs> because, you know, Black Friday, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and I was I had the self-control to hold off. Today it went on sale. I immediately bought it. It's 30% off, only 14 bucks. Uh, Inside, Bastion, L.A. Noir, uh, Hyper Light Drifter, another game. Mac, are you familiar with that game at all, Hyper Light Drifter? I am somewhat familiar with it. I do actually own it, but it's kind of in my backlog. Okay, I was actually going to ask your opinion, because that's one that's on my wish list. Uh, and I've heard it's phenomenal, but maybe we'll talk off stream and see what your thoughts are. Since I can say that the music yet. is quite fantastic. Yeah, it looks like a, it looks like almost like a cave story type graphics. A little a little nicer than cave story, but a Zelda type of game. So I'm, I'm excited to jump into that if I decide to buy it. Uh, Enter the Gungeon, fantastic game. You ever played Enter the Gungeon, Mac? I have not, but I've seen it played a few times. I think and you, it looks I think you might... hectic and kind of fun. It is. It's kind of like, uh, what's that other procedurally generated, uh, I can't remember. Binding of Isaac? The, yes, the Binding of Isaac, exactly. Yep, just like that. Shovel Knight's on sale. If you haven't played that already, everybody, shame on you. Hop on that. And, you know, Steam World Heist, Steam World Dig 2, Blaster Master Zero, Bloodstained Curse of the Moon, Shantae Have Genie Hero. Now, Mac, Bloodstained Curse of the Moon, have you heard of that game? I have heard of it, I have played it, I have beaten it, I have gotten all of the achievements, except for one that didn't unlock for some strange reason. So that game, and just a little bit of background, I was reading about this because the trailer looks phenomenal. It looks like a Castlevania. Um, it was it's... done by Inti Creates, the same people who did uh, who did Mega Man's 9 and 10. Right, and also it was a bonus, it was a stretch goal for a Kickstarter. Mm -hmm. um, called Bloodstained. I can't remember the stuff that comes after the colon, but for a Bloodstained game that's going to be coming out in 2019. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it, it looks like a good game. Would you say about how long it took you to beat it? Two hours, three hours? Something uh, like yeah, that? Yeah, something like that. Okay, maybe it's worth a pickup. And uh, that's it for the Nintendo eShop deal. So, bottom line is, a lot of these games that have just come out this year that are indie games, The Messenger, Celeste, uh, some of these other ones that, that everyone's talking about as Game of the Year candidates. They're all on sale, so if you haven't played them, uh, go jump in. Mac, I'll let you talk about some deals, and then I'll do a couple more. All right. So uh, I, I really honestly just had one little plug that I had to put in there. And a as you know, um, I like to play a lot of the old games, and I prefer to play them on the original hardware. And so I use things called EverDrives or flash cartridges. Now, EverDrives is uh, unique. It's the specific name uh, for one set of things made by a dev named Cricks, I, I think I'm saying it right. Anyway, point being is that everything at his uh, in his store, the K-R-I-K-Z-Z dot com, everything in his store is uh, like mostly it's all like 20% or more off. 
But if you want an EverDrive for your original Nintendo, for your Super Nintendo, for your Sega Genesis, your Game Boys or Game Boys Advanced, you know, most of these, or Nintendo 64 for that matter, these uh, carts are available for purchase through his store. And uh, until Saturday, they're going to be on sale for about 20% off or so. Nice, nice. But, uh, but yeah, so it's uh, it's definitely it's definitely very fun to have those and play the games on their you know uh, all the games that I could never own on the original console is very enjoyable. So if you are at all thinking about getting into the old school stuff, I highly recommend going that route, and they're cheap in comparison. Fantastic! That's an excellent deal, no matter what type of games you like to play. Retro stuff, fantastic. So this next, you know, I'll go through a few more deals and then we'll, we'll wrap up with the news. Um, there's a common theme that you'll notice as I go through some of these deals. This list comes from GameSpot. Uh, let's start with, let's just start at the top. So they just go through some notable titles um, that are on sale this Black Friday. And one of them is one that I actually purchased the other day. It's Horizon Zero Dawn. Uh, you can get the complete edition for just 10 bucks at GameStop. And if you haven't played it like me, uh, it comes with all the DLC. It was a Game of the Year candidate 2017. I had too many other games in my backlog, and I just never got to it. I was very, very excited. Um, it was one of the games that was on my list that I was hoping would be on sale this Black Friday. I lucked out, and it was. Picked it up because Black Friday no longer starts on Friday. It starts on Monday now, Mac. Uh, it's it's a two-week thing. So, anyway. Uh, we got Mario vs. Rabbids is going to be on sale. I'm just scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. Dragon Ball Fighter Z. Um, I went through some of these because there's overlap with the Nintendo. Middle Earth Shadow of War going to be on sale at several retailers for 20 bucks. Um, Nier Automata for PS4 going to be on sale for 20 bucks a couple places. Possibly one of the greatest soundtracks in video game history. Just throwing that out there. Nice. Good to know. Valky- Valkyria. I know how to pronounce it, but I'm, in the moment I stutter on it, Mac. Valkyria. We'll say it Valkyria. That's not how you say it. Uh, Chronicles 4, Xbox One, PS4, Nintendo Switch, 40 bucks at GameStop for all those platforms and at Best Buy for Switch. Uh, Xenoblade 2, Xenoblade Chronicles 2, 35 bucks at Walmart. Xbox Game Pass, you could pick up a year subscription for $70. Normally it's about 10 bucks a month, so you're getting almost half off. Now here's where the theme starts, Mac. Fallout 76, $40 at GameStop and on the Xbox Store for PS4. Um, also, we have... You know, Call of Duty Black Ops 4, $37 at Walmart. Both of those games came out this month, um, and they're both fairly high-profile AAA titles. You know, it it makes me want to have a short discussion about, does it even make sense to buy games on release anymore? I mean, Fallout 76, it came out back on the 13th. I mean, it's been eight days and now we can get it at 33% off. So I I guess it, it makes me wonder, first of all, how they are able to financially sell the game for so little, you know, a week later. I mean, this this Black Friday deal wasn't just decided in the past two or three days. In my, I'd imagine, I'd imagine that it was in the works for, you know, months before the game even came out. So... One, is it fair to the consumer to do that? And two, you know, why should I ever purchase a game in November on release? 
Well, I'm the wrong person to ask, Mr. Nice Guy. I am of the opinion that you should not be purchasing any of these new games. None of them. They're all terrible. Every one of them. All you can count on is the old stuff. Old reliable. The retro, the retro mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah, old That's faithful. right. There you go. No, it's, I mean, it's just, it fascinates me, especially with a game like <laughs> like Call of Duty. And, and, you know, reviews are saying this is one of the best Call of Duties in recent years, but yet I can pick it up for $37 on Friday when it was 60 bucks on the 6th when it came out or whatever day it was it came out this month. So just something to think about, guys. If you're cheap like me, uh, maybe just have some self-control unless, you know, you're a big streamer, big YouTuber, and you need to get the, the media out there immediately. Uh, maybe just wait a couple days to buy it. So, Mac, that's the gaming news. Over to you, buddy. All right. Well, now that we've taken a look at some of the stuff that's going on around us right now, let's take a look back and appreciate the past, perhaps, with a little bit of gaming history. So even though this week, this past week, in years before, there have been many awesome games released, I kind of want to just highlight a few things. Uh, I want to start with this past week, end of November, is where we saw the launch in 2006 of two very notable consoles, uh, the Wii, the Nintendo Wii, as well as the PlayStation 3. Um, it's no surprise that uh, that game consoles tend to get released closer to the end of November, so that they can be a part of you know the uh, uh, they can be a part of the the hype around Black Friday, and people can purchase them for their children or for their loved ones before the holiday season. Uh, But the Wii and the PS3 both had fantastic and excellent things about them that makes them very notable things that we we can't go without talking about. And uh, I'll just say a few quick words about the Wii particularly. The Wii was really... It was really the bridge between um, uh, between video games and non-video gamers, at least in that time, in the early to in the mid two thousands. Um, in a lot of ways, through these console wars that had been going on, especially between Microsoft and PlayStation, um, people kind of had this opinion of games, uh, and people who were gamers had this. I don't want to say naughtiness or or snootiness, but uh, a little bit of exclusivity going on. You know, some people are like, you know, I'm a gamer. That's that. Whereas the Wii was very much not a part of that. Nintendo kind of consciously moved away from that and tried to make sure that their console was more appealing to uh, non-traditional gamers. And it paid off in spades for them. It was an insanely successful uh, uh, launch. It was a really successful, uh, you know, during the console's lifespan. And I would certainly argue that in its generation, it probably was sort of the victor of its generation, of its console generation, if we're calling victories, that is. Uh, I, I hear you intaking air, Mr. Nice Guy. Are you preparing to disagree? No, I actually agree 100%. I mean, they did everything right. They they not only made it accessible to gamers, but they bundled it with Wii Sports, which to you and me might seem like a silly game, but I mean, it had Wii Bowling. Uh, I believe it had golf. You know, it had a bunch of stuff that casual gamers would want to do. Um, they added, you know, there was exercise. There was Zumba. You know, there was all these things, you know, that, that, that the I don't want to, you know, 
group people into a category, but we, I mean, we could say um, non-traditional gamers, like you said, the perfect term to use. Non-traditional gamers would be into like, hey, maybe I don't want to play, you know, Call of Duty, but it's cool that I can use this thing to get some exercise in. And it, you know, so it, yeah, they really made it appeal to a wide audience. Yeah. And definitely that sort of aspect of uh, what's the saying, hit them where they ain't. Uh, or going for the pocketbooks of the people who weren't being courted effectively by uh, Sony's PlayStation and uh, Microsoft's Xbox, it really made sure that they raked in the money on the Wii. Um, So moving right along, another thing to mention, Mario Kart Double Dash was released this past week in 2003 for the GameCube, and Mario Kart Double Dash is a fantastic, wonderful game. Um, I feel like it's probably the best of the Mario Kart franchise, although I haven't played any of the most recent karts. I think it's what Mario Kart 6 is what we're on right now. Mario Kart 8. Mario Mario Kart 8. 8. See, I don't even know which number we're on. But the point being is that uh, the Mario Kart Double Dash really holds a special place in my heart. Uh, Blue Sparks all day long. Um, and then uh, a release for PC in <laughs> 1998, uh, which, you know, I think I can just leave it at this. Half-Life for the PC in 1998. Um, those of us who've known and played along through the subsequent th- technically two sequels for, uh, uh, for Half-Life have come to know and love Gordon Freeman, the silent particle physicist who's a pretty blasted good shot with a gun and uh yeah that's what i had today there i mean there are a lot more but uh but i think i'll just err on the side of caution and leave it there some of the greats that uh came before and kind of helped shape the landscape of games as they are today yeah half-life is just iconic i mean if if you haven't played it i don't know if you can call yourself a gamer um Maybe that's harsh, but that's, that's kind of how I feel. It's a fantastic Maybe you franchise. can call yourself a non-traditional gamer. A non-traditional gamer. There <laughs> you go. Right? I like that. Well, very good. So uh, next topic, rather next segment, ladies and gentlemen, is our topic of the week. A segment of the show where we talk about something that's relevant in gaming. And we give you our opinions on it. Now, this one happened about six days ago. Uh, but it is, you know, it's very, very relevant to the direction that the industry is moving. Uh, this comes from Polygon, and and I'll read it. The title says PlayStation is skipping E3 2019. Uh, Sony and the PlayStation brand will not have a presence at E3 2019. A representative for the company confirmed Thursday to Polygon, quote, as the industry evolves, Sony Interactive Entertainment continues to look for inventive opportunities to engage the community. Sony said in a statement to Polygon. PlayStation fans mean the world to us, and we always want to innovate, thinking differently and experiment. Think differently and experiment with new ways to delight gamers. As a result, we have decided not to participate in E3 in 2019. We are exploring new and familiar ways to engage our community in 2019 and can't wait to share our plans with you. Um, E3 2019 will be the 25th E3 and it will be the first time in the convention's history that Sony will not appear at the show. Um, now, this is huge news because, after all, E3 has has you know pl- has hosted all the greats for years and years. There was a, even that one time when Mr. Nice Guy went to E3 
and L.A. It was it was truly it brought <laughs> tears to the eyes. So it did, I mean, yeah. you know, the fact that. I think this is a direct response to realizing that they couldn't top Mr. Nice Guy's appearance at E3. <laughs> well, you know, I haven't been back since then, and I feel like Sony was crossing their fingers I would be. Uh, and I, they saw that it wasn't happening, that I just, I'm too busy, I'm too in demand. And so they said, you know what, if Mr. Nice Guy's not going to be there, let's just do our own thing uh, and not, not hope that he'll be there. So that's clearly what Sony's doing. No, but in all seriousness, um... I mean, this this gives me a lot of thoughts. You know, one is E3 has taken a change in the past few years. They've made it much, much more accessible. And it's not just a thing for games media. It's a thing for the fans. You know, it's a thing where as long as you're willing to shell out the dough, you can get a ticket. And that's a great thing, but it also makes it so that the lines are extremely long. Um, so that if, if, you know, Sony or Microsoft or Xbox wants to show something behind closed doors... Um, it makes it probably harder for media to get an appointment. You have people pretending to be media. I, I just imagine it's a much more hectic situation. And I don't know if that is what is causing Sony to not want to be there. I actually think it's just that the world is evolving, Mac. I mean, you and I, we're not we're not famous yet, right? But we, we have a platform that we can, you know, we can be here and we can podcast weekly. Um, we can, you know, we can share this content and in the past, in order to do that, you needed to, you know, get past a gatekeeper. And so I would imagine that Sony still has announcements they're going to make, but that they're just going to make them on their own terms via a Twitch channel, via a PlayStation Experience type event, um, via their own methods rather than doing it at E3. I mean, do you think that's what's going to happen or do you think that maybe they just don't have a lot to share this year? What are your thoughts? You know, honestly, I could go either way. It could be a good way to throw up a smokescreen because they don't have much to offer this year. And maybe that's because they've got too many, they've got people focused in more long term projects. As you know, there's basically nothing that comes out of a AAA studio that hasn't been in the works for three plus years. And when we, you know, when we take a look at a game, we see a preview for a game and it's like, oh, it's coming out in 2019. Uh, they didn't tell us about it when they started working on it. You know, that that's very rarely the case. Do we hear about it? We hear about these things when they're 80, 90 percent of the way complete and they want to start generating, you know, uh, generating interest in it. So, uh, I mean, I could see Sony having a lean year, not because they, you know, don't have people working on projects, but just because they've got people working on longer term projects. And that would be a perfectly reasonable reason to not go to E3. But uh, it could also be, like you said, that they are wanting to, you know, evolve a bit and start giving their, you know, uh, you know, pu putting out their things, not just at, at a big conference where, like you said, it's a lot easier to get into now and have much longer lines, but on their own terms. And, and, and it I, does I cost money to go to E3 for both the people who put those things up. Um, now, I don't think I ever heard from uh, from people at E3 how much it cost per square foot, but uh, a few years back, you know, I would go to CES and those things, and it cost crazy amounts of money to have a booth at CES. I sure. do believe it was something like, you know, now that I'm about to say it out loud, I think I might be off, 
but I want to say it was something like $1,000 per square foot of booth space. Oh, I'd believe um, that. I'd believe and, that. And, I, no, no, I'm actually, I, I totally believe it. That's the problem. It's too believable. It yeah. can't be true. It is too believable. It's got to be crazy more expensive than that. But I don't remember off the top of my head. So I'm going to say 3000 per square foot just to be that extra bit of unbelievable and uh well there it is yeah it's nuts and you know we could talk about this all day um i i don't think that sony really has nothing in the works i mean we know that they're working on the last of us part two um we know that they're working on death stranding we know that they have a lot of stuff in the works but they showed us the last of us part two what was i don't remember two e3s ago one or two e3s ago Mm -hmm. and so unless they're gonna come and say hey here's the release date there's really no reason for them to show us more of that game they also showed a trailer of it at the playstation experience so unless they're gonna come with something that's new and that's going to release in the near future i can see why they don't want to go to e3 um you, you can't just keep your fans happy with promises of games that are two or three years away. Uh, And, and, you know, I don't think that that's necessarily the case, but I think that the fact that they announced The Last of Us Part Two a couple years ago, and now it's still not ready to come out, means that when they go, if they were to go to E3, everyone is expecting an update on The Last of Us Part Two. And and that's not an effective way of getting things done. I mean, it's, it's the reason that Bethesda doesn't tell us three years before they're releasing Elder Scrolls, that they're going to be releasing Elder Scrolls in three years. You know, they wait until... I mean, with Fallout 4, they announced it at E3 in June and then released it in November. And and to me, that's the way it should be done. And and so I can see why Sony maybe is backing out this year. I hope that they're in there in the future. Uh, and I hope that Xbox comes hard. They sent out a tweet in response to this. Microsoft did that said, we'll be at E3. We'll definitely be there or something to that effect. Uh... So hopefully they they have something to say because uh, they've they've really suffered this generation. Mac, do you have any other thoughts on this? Or uh, that's kind of what we wanted to say, people. So if you have opinions, let us know in the chat. And uh, that has been our topic of the week. Back over to you, Mac. All right. Well, as you know, we like to take a look at some of the games that are going on around us, and uh, not by AAA developers like Sony or Microsoft, but by the little guys through a thing we like to call Kick or Kickstart. And the important thing here is that I'm going to give us a, a quick little presentation, a rundown of, if you will, of a game that's currently in the works to get started on a crowdfunding site. And then we like to give our, you know, back and forth about what we like, what we don't like, what concerns us. And then at the end, we say whether we think it should be kickstarted because it's worth our time and our money, or we think it should be kicked out of here. And we encourage you to you know, throw in your vote as well. And if you're listening to this recorded after the fact, don't forget we are still tallying, so just say it out loud on your commute. We will get you from here. But this one, a little bit different because we've got a choice. I was torn. So, Mr. Nice Guy, I pose it to you. What do you think is more interesting? Do you want to do something Lovecraftian or something more Mega Man-ish? Oh... I have got to go Mega Man, dude. I've okay. Go Mega Man. And hey, so would you mind that, would you mind putting that into our uh, that link into our Gmail chat as well? Oh, absolutely. So, here is the link. <laughs> what we've got is Mega Man is a Mega Man uh inspired game called Gigabuster. 
a fiery action platformer. And in the the title of the Kickstarter includes in parentheticals demo available, which means they are avid watchers of our show uh, because that is a <laughs> box that must be ticked. An action platformer inspired by Mega Man Zero and Mega Man X focusing on fluid movement and combat. So what they're looking for for this game is $20,000 to fund the development. They have 23 days left to go. And if you're just looking at the game and you want to get a digital copy when it launches, which they're expecting to be in March 2019 then $15 is your buy-in on Kickstarter. So feel free to, uh, you know, uh, feel free to keep that in mind as we go through. So $20,000, the demos you can try out for those of you who've got the link. Um, They are going to, as a stretch goal, they're going to launch it on Steam, you know, Windows, Mac, Linux, and such. Um, So PCs and PC-like things. But... They're building it with Construct 2, which is a a game engine that can't be directly exported to Switch. But they do say that if they can meet a $5,000, or sorry, a $50,000 stretch goal, then they will will, uh, try. It it says, the way it's phrased is, a Switch port will be possible if we can meet a $50,000 goal. I noticed that too. It's not guaranteed. I'm I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit, shaky on the uh, on on the exact you know on the exact meaning of the language chosen there but yeah oh well um so that being said it looks fit it looks really really good i like the way that it looks in the screenshots as well as uh, in the demo the music's quite nice and the uh the movement in the game is pretty fluid so let me though just and and I actually quite like the art style. It has a sort of, you know, everything's got sort of this, like, uh, graffiti style to it that's really quite fun. Um, but at the current moment, some of the things that concern me a touch about the project are that uh, they have listed a team of two. Uh, Waller, who's going to be, you know, doing most of the stuff, and uh, Jasmine, who's going to be doing the composing. Um They've linked the various people's, you know, uh, uh, accounts, uh, Tumblr for Waller and uh, and uh, website for Jasmine's music. But uh, that all being said, I, I think they've got good ideas. I think that their uh, I think that their budget is definitely achievable for what they're you know showing and what they've got there. But I'm concerned that twenty thousand dollars for two people, and let's be fair, it's mostly just going to be one person to put out a game um, launch date supposed to be in March uh, 2019. Uh, That's a pretty big undertaking. Unless, of course, that one person can dedicate uh, crazy amounts of personal time to it uh, in order to make it happen. And I don't think... I, I don't think that they're going to make that goal. I don't think they're going to be able to launch in May, even if in May 2019, even if it's met, that's just too few man hours with that amount of, you know, with that amount of money, that $20,000. $20, so um, as much as I'd like to say that I think they can nail it because 
it does look good. It looks like they can bring together the code, the music, the, you know, the mechanics. It looks like they can do a good job of putting things together. I don't think they can put it together in that time frame, but I will gladly uh, swallow my pride and admit uh, that I'm wrong if I turn out to be wrong in this case. Um, Mr. Nice Guy, what do you think about it? Dude, this looks amazing. I'm 100% serious. I just watched the trailer while you were talking. I've been reading through this Kickstarter. Um, I mean, this this game looks unbelievable. You know, and, and the thing that frustrates me about games like this is that it deserves to be on the Switch. Mm. I mean, that's where people are playing their indie games. I I bring my Switch to work with me every day, and I play it during my lunch hour um, a lot of times. Not every day, but a lot of times. And games like this are, are ideal, you know, for quick sit-down sessions. You know, I don't have to be in front of my TV. Um, people who, you know, commute to work on a bus or on a train can play this. Um, to release a game like this only on PC, Mac, and Linux just doesn't make sense to me. I understand that there are additional costs that come with getting it on Nintendo's platform, PlayStation's platform, Xbox's platform. But... I mean, you got to go big. If you want this game to be successful, just set a Kickstarter goal of $50,000. And and then if it makes it to that, put it on the Switch. If it doesn't, then don't. I feel like this is happening with a lot of the Kickstarters we're reviewing and that I'm seeing. You know, Hazelnut Bastille, um, Bushiden. You know, they, they all are coming out for PC. Or I should say they're all setting a goal for PC and Mac and Linux, but they all have stretch goals for the Switch when really the Switch should be their main focus. Um, the Switch is killing it in this area right now. I mean, just absolutely killing it. And and I love playing indies on the Switch. It's the place to play them. So that's my only complaint. Mac, this game looks unbelievable, and I, I don't think they're going to make their goal. Um just just based on you know the things that you said how do how was the demo though did you play it so i actually got through the demo before we started i got through the demo of the other game of the lovecraft one uh and i'll Ah, save that one for another day to talk about but this one i've got downloaded but haven't uh but haven't cracked it open yet but from the you know uh from the footage that they show it's very fluid and i am quite looking forward to giving it a shot but uh but that being said um, you know me, uh, if something has a demo, a playable demo, when they launch their Kickstarter project, it, it's almost a, you know, it's almost an immediate thumbs up from me. And uh, without having played it, but having seen it and have, have, having had the download or the demo downloaded to my computer already, I have to say that uh, for all of my, you know, hesitancy... Um, I'm going to say kickstart this bad boy because while I don't think they're going to meet their goal on time, or that is to say they're not going to be able to deliver in March. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's... Sorry, I think I might have said May. It's you March did. Yeah, 2019. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but still, that's that's even worse. Sooner, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, they're definitely not making March, but uh, it will, I suspect, come out eventually. So... I say kickstart it because I think it's too good of a it's too good of a design concept and everything to not 
shoot for the stars on. It, it, so. it is. You know, I'm in love with the art style. It looks unbelievable. You know, just watching the video, it looks like you can acquire so many different moves, so many different tactics to fight the bosses. Uh, it just looks fun. It made me... So I don't usually watch a trailer and get a smile on my face. I was mm-hmm. I smiled when I watched this trailer just now, and I'm not making that up. Um, it looks really, really cool. Easy but, for you to say, Mr. No Camera. <laughs> but the Switch is where I want to play these games. I don't want to play these games in front of my computer. And so it has to be on the Switch for me to do this. Well, the solution is easy. Kickstart and get 5,000 of your closest friends to Kickstart as well. Yeah, I mean, $15... Yeah, I will do that. $15 is a very reasonable price for for a new game like this. Um, Mac, this this brings up... I got to complain about Kickstarter again for just a minute. And in the gaming world, I mean, as I look at my backlog of games, I mean, you just mentioned you have Hyperlight Drifter and you have not played it yet. And I've heard it's a fantastic game. There's probably other games you're in the middle of. There's probably games that you are just starting. Um, Mega Man 11, you said you're going to play soon. I mean, if we were to sit down and, and look at all the games that we have purchased but have not been able to play yet, I would imagine both of us have fairly long lists of those type of games, you know, or games that we want to go back and do things in. And so the whole premise of Kickstarter is that we're putting money down to pay for a game that we want to see made so that we can play it. The reality is it, the game may not be made. First of all, it may be made and it may suck. I'm looking at you, Mighty Number 9. But it, you know what we can do, Mac? We can use our, our hard-earned money to purchase games that are already out that we have not had time to get to. Games like The Messenger, where you know there's a general consensus that that game is fantastic. Games like Celeste, which you and I have both played and both loved. Um, I, I just don't understand how we can, or how the consumer can put down money on a game that's not yet made Hope that it gets made and hope that it's good. Um, when there's so much stuff out there that we have not had time to play yet. That's my point. Uh, there, there's just too much good stuff right now to put money on stuff that hasn't come out. Way to bring the realism. Way to bring us down. I'm sorry. I'm not trying to bring you down. And I hope that this project succeeds. I vote that it gets kickstarted. Um, <laughs> Me I, too. I, I just can't. I mean, there's, there's too many games that I haven't had time to play that are on my list. No, it's a fair point. It's fair to be critical of the overall scene, especially when, like you said, we've got so many things. But but I will say I'm not going to let my backlog, uh, uh, you know, frown upon Giga Waller and their, you know, and the Gigabuster game. I say kickstart, and I encourage those of you who are here with us live, say it. Say it in the chat. Let us know what you think. Kick it out of here or kickstart. Mr. Nice Guy's already given his vote as well, and uh, and and yeah, hopefully, hopefully this goes well. But I do take your point. There are plenty of games that I've already purchased, and I haven't gotten around to. Much less ones that I would like to have not yet purchased and haven't gotten around to. That was unwieldy, I got, like, yeah, but I think that, that did, made no, sense. No, that made sense. We got you. We got you. This, I mean, this brings up another point, though. Do we even need AAA titles anymore? And we could talk about this another time. But I yeah, mean, so I think many, that deserves to be a topic of the week. It does. I mean, both Celeste and The Messenger were released this year, and I don't think either of them will win Game of the Year, but they're both loosely in the conversation. 
And I mean, those are both $20 games at full price. Now, you're not getting the same level of experience as you're getting with a Red Dead Redemption as far as number of hours. Or as a Fallout 76, you know, you're probably putting hundreds into that, hundreds of hours into that. But the point is, indie games are really taking over. So I think that Kickstarter is a good platform. I hope it continues. I just think that there's too much stuff out there already. Anyway, Mac, did you have totally other stuff fair. on this Kickstarter? Nope, that's all I wanted to share for today at least. Cool. So uh, we'll, we'll keep things moving to our next segment. Uh, it's a segment that we like to call the Dummy of the Week. 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 A segment where we talk about someone who did something stupid, idiotic, or downright dumb and make fun of them a little bit. Uh, this one's not as crazy as in past weeks. You know, I think last week we shared one about a guy who got mad while he was gaming and took out his guns and shot him in the air and shot his, his neighbor's house. This one's a little more tame. Uh, this one comes from Sora News 24. It says, Tiny scale operation for pint-sized retro console resales is too big for Japanese police to look the, to look the other way. Let's read this. It says, Nintendo's classic mini Super Famicom, the Japanese spec version of the Super NES Classic Edition, is a pretty cool piece of tech. The self-contained retro system has 21 old-school games stored inside, which should be enough to keep anyone with an appreciation of the hobby's history or just fun, straightforward gameplay entertained. But 39-year-old Tomoyuki... It's funny, because his last name is Miyamoto. (laughs) A resident. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Miyamoto, uh, deeply involved in Nintendo for many, many years. That's right. Creator of Mario, creator of Zelda, um, a legend. Uh, it says a resident of Kash- Kashima in Ibaraki Prefecture felt the mini Super Famicom could use a bit of a tune-up. Since it's got the processing power to run any Super Famicom slash Super NES game, Miyamoto decided to add in the ROMs for a few more. He had, had he stopped there and simply enjoyed his upgraded system in the comfort of his own home, he probably wouldn't have gotten in trouble. Unfortunately, I'm sure we can all assume what where this is going, Miyamoto's next move was to offer his upgraded mini Super Famicom for sale through an online auction site. Between April and May, he sold three systems, with his total income from them being 61,500 yen, which is about US $540. A pretty nice soft profit margin. On the 24,000 yen, it would have cost him to buy the systems new, since they retail for 8,000 yen in Japan. But Miyamoto's entrepreneurial spirit didn't impress law enforcement, and he was arrested on November 19th by police officers attached to the Yashugi Precinct in Shimane Prefecture, way on the other side of the country, where ostensibly one of Miyamoto's customers was located. He now faces charges stemming from violations of Japan's trademark and copyright laws. Miyamoto has admitted to selling the systems, which he says... He modified himself, implying that no one else was involved in his money-making scheme. Given that his customers were willing to pay more than double the cost of a regular mini Super Famicom, you might be imagining that Miyamoto stuffed them full of his entire catalog for the 16-bit system. Actually, though, he added a mere five games to the systems, where their copyrights split between four publishers. And though there are exactly five games in the pre-bundled lineups for Japanese overseas versions of the retro console, Miyamoto wasn't trying to create some of the best of both worlds hybrid by combining their two libraries. One of the games he added is reported to be plain old Super Mario Brothers, (laughs) which wasn't even released in the standalone version for the Super Famicom. So it's unclear if Miyamoto slapped the 8-bit NES game into the 16-bit retro box or simply cut the Super Mario Bros. portion that was one-fourth of Mario All-Stars. Anyway, um, we're not going to read the whole thing. First of all, if your last name's Miyamoto, 
you can't possibly think that you're going to get away with this because once again, he's very much tied to Nintendo. Second of all, Mac. So we've hang talked- on, just a moment. Um, is one of the charges that there's trademark infringement or something because exactly. he committed a crime with the Miyamoto name? I, no, I no, offer no, no, that no. facetiously. No, oh yeah, <laughs> no, but that would be hilarious. Um, it's interesting because just a couple weeks ago on your your uh, segment, we were talking about how. Nintendo is really cutting back on ROMs, and so it's interesting that he would do this. Probably there was some overlap between when Nintendo made that accusation and when he did this. Um, But I mean, I don't know why these people were paying such a high price for a modded console that only add five more games, and and why he was willing to risk it. It just doesn't make sense to me. So um, don't do that kind of stuff, kids. That's our dummy of the week. Back to you, Mac. All right. Well, the last official segment of our show, as you know, is legalese. Legalese. So, in legalese, as you know, I'm not a lawyer, but I play one on TV, and uh, we like to just kind of, you know, talk about some of the legal aspected sides of things. And before I get started on this week's, I want to first, uh, you know, issue a little bit of a of a retraction slash errata, if you will. Um, I had said when we were talking last time around that settlement about the uh, the uh, ROM websites that got shut down and sued for $12 million or so, uh, that Nintendo was trying to set a legal precedent. Um, I, so the way I phrased it made it wrong because, uh, you know, because an arbitration unsettlement cannot set precedent. Uh, in order for anything, a term of an, of an arbitration to wind up setting a precedent for something there would have to be some form of legal appeal to actually haul that into the legal system and get a judge ruling on it so uh, the way that i phrased it you know made it sound like nintendo through this arbitration was going to pin you know 12 million dollars at the cost of you know that's what it costs for you to think do things kind of like uh you know the five hundred thousand dollars or whatever crazy number was set for people who downloaded that uh you know that uh the hurt locker from back from back in the day when they when that was a big deal but uh that's not necessarily going to stop Nintendo from, you know, using that number on its cease and desist things. But but just to be clear, just something I wanted to make sure that that my unwieldy phrasing didn't give anybody the wrong impression. Um, so anyway, on to legalese today. And as you know, I've been taking a little bit of a sort of general broad view of how exactly uh, gaming history has been impacted from, you know, from a semi-legal standpoint. We've talked about things such as uh, what the streaming-only future might look like. We've also talked about uh, DRM and, uh, you know, some of the lawsuits surrounding that. Uh, I kind of want to spend some time, amusingly enough, uh, talking about uh, uh, ROMs and emulators uh, just a touch and uh, taking a quick look at some of the legalities around them. So um, let's just throw this out there uh, by saying that a ROM is the ones and zeros, the binary, the code that's actually stored on the cartridge, the game itself, if you will. And in an emulator, what's going on is you are telling a computer, maybe something like my phone here, uh, to behave as if it were the Super Nintendo. Um, 
then the you know then the ROM, uh, which back in the days when they first started putting out ROMs there, they had things called headers on them that gave the specific instructions to the emulator as to how the game was to be run. And then the uh, the ROM would interact with the emulator and you would get a playable game in a format that you could play on a phone, you could play it on... Even I have an emulator on my original Xbox that, uh, that emulates the original Nintendo and uh, several other systems. So... You know, it's one of those things where you can kind of build an emulator for almost anything, and a lot of emulators are open source software. So that's kind of what emulators and ROMs are. And in case you've been living under a rock, uh, Nintendo is very much against emulators and ROMs, and so have been other companies. As a matter of fact, back in 2000, Sony Computer Entertainment uh, America v. Bleem was the name of the uh, of the lawsuit. Uh, and that was, Bleem was a form of an emulator designed to emulate the Sony's PlayStation 1. Now, um, most of the gaming industries, uh, uh, industry giants at the time, including Nintendo, uh, had a vested interest in this ruling. They all offered their two cents um, for these, you know, for these, uh, when this was being heard. And it was ruled that emulators are legal it is you know emulators are a legal thing it is nothing that can be you know that can be uh you know sued about um now never mind that being the ruling since 2000 um even until recently nintendo's legal page still asserts that roms and emulators both are illegal um and things say such as it's the greatest threat to date facing video game developers um, it is fair and reasonable for, you know, someone like, say, Mr. Nice Guy to say, but hey, if I can't actually buy it, how on earth am I uh, harming, you know, uh, Nintendo through an emulator? And uh, I would certainly think that that's perfectly reasonable, although clearly there are those that disagree. But here's something that's more, I, I think, more uh, interesting on our side as gamers, people who love and enjoy this expression of artwork that has taken hundreds of thousands of man hours uh, in, you know, across continents, brought people together. Um, at the most, at any point in time, um, titles available from the NES for play through legitimate sources available from Nintendo would have been on the Wii Virtual Console. 92 of the 714 games released in North America were available for download legitimately through Nintendo themselves. Um, that service, Wii Nintendo, Wii's Virtual Console, will no longer be available at the end of January of this year. And at that point in time, only the 30 pre-chosen titles from the NES, as well as however many they have added since then, will be available for that subscription service on the Nintendo Switch. Um, plus minus whatever Super Nintendo games they decide to do. The point being is that for 87% of the titles that were released for the NES, you at this moment have no ability to play them legitimately from, from, uh, from Nintendo. Um, I mean, barring a couple of services that are, as I mentioned, being shut down. 
So it's really hard from a practical standpoint uh, to not side with emulators being a good thing for something that keeps video games alive and well. And uh, I have a bias on this. Um, and I, I would be, it, it would be wrong of me not to mention the delightful presentation by Frank Cafaldi, director of the Video Game History Foundation in 2016. Uh, when he pre- when he you know showed that uh, that not only of course is the Wii you know virtual console an emulator that's what it is uh, not only did they sell you an emulator but Nintendo themselves in spite of it being the greatest threat to date sold you a ROM because of course they downloaded the original Super Mario Brothers from a ROM site and turned around and sold it to you and how did he know that? because the i header is identical to the one offered on then that rom site since 1995 um so it's always funny to talk about roms and emulators uh when you know uh, when it's as he put it why would you turn to the greatest threat to date for video games if you actually had original copies of the game software around so who knows? Maybe, uh, maybe the you know maybe the game companies won't preserve a video game. Maybe it has to be us dirty hackers, us uh, emulators and ROM lovers, in order to make sure that 714 games are playable instead of just 90, give or take. But to kind of wrap up the whole thing that we've been talking about on legalese, the legal battles have been going back and forth. Video games, are they a product? Are they a service? Who knows? That's still very much up in the air. And we need to kind of be vigilant as gamers who want to play games, who want to experience and enjoy the art form. We have to vigilantly kind of ask that question and figure out where this is going to be. I know last time I did say we needed to, someone, some of us need to start a class action suit in order to try and ensure that video games, when they are shut down, uh, that there is some form of end-of-life plan so that we can still pay the thing, play the things we paid for. Um, and we'll see if that goes anywhere. But, uh, but again, anybody want to take up a class action, I'll, I'll, at, least, uh, I'll at least do my part. Uh, DRM, who knows where it's going in the future, maybe a streaming-only thing, and emulators always seem to be the whipping boy of Nintendo and others, but yet there's there are times where they don't even have the original game's clients. So there's no easy answers, as with anything in life, where the future of video games are going. And sometimes it's even hard to identify where the past is going. But the point being is that uh, is that legalese, I'll always be here for you to just throw out a little bit here and there about uh, about various video game video game stuff, but never never lose sight of the overall point that you need to pay attention to the legalese of video games because that's going to determine how you in the future are going to enjoy and continue to enjoy the games of your past as we've seen like last week with those rom sites being taken down it's uh something you know some of these small things have far-reaching consequences so uh enough about that i've droned on far too long but that's what i had for a little bit of legalese this evening mac that was phenomenal dude i hope that we can kind of continue this theme as it's relevant uh in the future dude hearing about roms is fascinating because 
I, you know, it's something that affects all of us as gamers. And, you know, you and I are both big into game preservation, um, both online and digital. So I, I love hearing about this stuff. So thank you for sharing that. And ladies and gentlemen, that's been our show. Now, before we go, we like to do one last thing where we talk about what we've been watching and what we've been playing. We want you to let us know in the chat all the nerdy stuff you're into right now, too, because we're always looking for more nerdy stuff to get into. Mac, do you want to start off or should I start off this week? I'll start off. So uh, as for watching, I've been watching Community. Uh, We're in the last season of Community, and it's kind of been falling apart. So... uh, so quit when Troy leaves is my uh, <laughs> is my my advice. Um, what else? Uh, you know, I haven't been watching much else aside from always watching Ducktales, as well as uh, watching The Good Place as new episodes come out. Uh, for playing, I've been playing back through some more of the uh, classic Mega Man series. You know, I've been practicing for tomorrow and Friday, but that's me for what I've been watching and what I've been playing. Nice, keeping it simple. I like that. Um, so I've been playing a lot of PUBG lately. Been getting back into that. Uh, I, like I said earlier, I just downloaded the Messenger earlier today uh, through the eShop sale. And now, you know, I have a debate in my mind. And Mac, I don't know if you can weigh in on this. Maybe we'll talk off stream. Dead Cells or Hyperlight Drifter? I know you haven't played Hyperlight Drifter. I know you said Dead Cells can be frustrating. Maybe we'll talk off stream and I can get your opinion because I want to pick up one of those two as well. Um, and what else have I been playing? That's pretty much it. I got a little bit of Monster Hunter in. Um, and yeah, that's that's pretty much it other than games with the kids that I've been playing. Now, as far as what I've been watching, still watching Madam Secretary on Netflix. Um, watched some movies. Gonna surprise the kids on Friday with movie tickets to go see the new Wreck-It Ralph movie, Ralph Breaks the Internet. And watching basketball. LeBron James uh, returned to Cleveland tonight, so I was watching that. They gave him a good reception. And of course, I watched the rough copy of my comedy special as well, which will be coming out soon. So that's it, Mac. You want to take us away this week? Absolutely. Thanks, everybody, for coming around and watching. Um, It's been great to have you. You all are the best viewers on Twitch. Now, we're here on Wednesday, of course, tonight, but we'll be back next week, Tuesday, bringing all of those, uh, you know, bringing all of the new gaming news, some of the old gaming news as well to you. Same bat time, same bat channel. Take it easy. See ya.